Hello, and a very warm welcome to the Understanding Users podcast, brought to you by Researchable UX. It's great to have you with me. I'm your host, Mike Green. I'm a freelance user research lead and digital consultant based in the UK. Over the coming weeks, I'm going to be chatting to various digital experts who I've had the pleasure of working with in recent years. They're from various disciplines, including user research, UX design, development, and product management. And they'll even be a digital business owner or two. I'll be talking to them about how they came to be in their current roles, what they've learned along the way, and what advice they may have for others getting into the field. These are intended to be relaxed, informal chats with professionals who are keen to share their experiences. So sit back and enjoy. In this episode of Understanding Users, Andy reminds us of the power of storytelling as one of UX's most underrated skills, and how the basics of observing users to help inform design decisions, in essence, dates back thousands of years. He talks as well of the epiphany moments of real insight he and his team have gained from shadowing users during field visits, even when, in one case, it came as a result of hoovering the carpet in an elderly user's home. He also plays my three-card challenge to share his favorite UX tool, favorite technique, and the trend he sees in the future. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy the episode. So my guest this time is Andy Curry, uh, and Andy's UX director at Lion and Mason. And we'll hear a little bit more about Lion and Mason and who they are and what they do in a minute. Um, we've never actually worked directly together, have we, Andy? But our paths have crossed a number of times. Yes, absolutely. We've we've peripherally. Uh, uh... <laughs> Worked on associated things, I think. We have, we have. But it's always been a pleasure to kind of chat to you. So uh, thank you so much for, for, for joining me today and uh, looking forward to hearing kind of your, your wisdom and your insights. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I don't disappoint. Tell, tell me a little bit first about your role and uh, the organization you work for. Uh, well, I'm the UX director of Line and Mason, um, and we are a, a product design and uh, research consultancy, um, which is uh, kind of a, we're not not your traditional digital agency um, for a number of reasons. One, we don't build things; um, we're quite specific about that. We kind of, but but everything from the kind of discovery the um the kind of the, the 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 inception of a project even from the kind of point at where clients just feel that they have a need that then everything from there right through to the kind of research the the investigation with stakeholders the service design elements of that um right down through to into actually getting a design together so the wireframing prototyping testing and then ui design we go right up to that point we don't go further than that um, and that's quite intentional because um we've had a and you know we've we've worked uh, Andrew Machen, who founded the organization, and myself, we've both worked uh, alongside a lot of developers and in traditional di digital agencies where it's end to end. Um, and, and often we found actually that there's something of a conflict of interests at times when you get to that point where you have a development team who are maybe trying to kind of build something within a certain spec. Um, and for us as an organization to provide the best kind of what is best for the user, what is best solution to the problem, the, the structure we've built that Line and Mason with is very much towards we come at it from that perspective. If we had a stable of, say, mobile app developers, then it might well be that, in you know, for the best will in the world, we might end up saying, well, the best solution is a mobile app because we've got a bunch of these guys in the cupboard back here and we need to give them work. You know, there's, and that's an exaggeration of, uh, of, of how end-to-end digital, end -to -end digital uh, full-service digital agencies work, but, but it, there is an element of 
us wanting to make sure we are completely impartial in that sense. We work very, very well with developers, and we've worked with a you know you know and and worked in situations where we're working in kind of agile processes as well as well as just the kind of slightly more waterfall where we hand over to developers. But we make sure that developers are and and whoever those developers are, be they the clients in house development team or a third party that the clients um, introduced, we make sure that they're involved in our process because it's hugely valuable as far as we're concerned throughout that. Uh, discovery, ideation, research, and then into the actual design of a solution to have that technical voice in the room at all times as well and collaborate very closely with development teams. But actually, uh, as well as every other team, so, you know, that includes marketing, finance, and everyone else, you know, but we we need that feed in to the whole process. But we ourselves keep ourselves slightly kind of contained, contained away from that so we can really clearly focus on delivering what is truly going to be the best solution for the problem um, with and, and then take those technical considerations into into that. And many of our projects aren't just end to end, like I've just described in terms of that kind of ideation of design and discovery and research process. But sometimes we'll just jump in for a part of that as well. And, you know, it all, all depends on what the client's need really is. And, and you've got quite an interesting backstory, haven't you? I'm just interested to, for you to kind of share with everyone, like the, the road, if you like, to your current role. Oh, dear. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I, I, I trained as an actor originally. Um, uh, well, the theatre studies and acting um, is what I did at university, um, and that's what I wanted to do. Um, and for a certain amount of time, that's what I did. Um, however, I, I was thinking about this the other day. I, I think I basically I've had kind of two careers um, kind of work going concurrently. Um, uh, one was more successful than the other, and uh, as a result, here we are. Uh, but yeah, so when when I, I finished university um, and, and and you know set out to do what I wanted, you know, to, to fulfil my 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 acting ambitions. So I was working in um, in a uh, continental beer shop in York, um, and that was owned but part owned by an ex IBM um, guy called Rob Arnson, and he had just founded a learn a digital learning company called uh, My Knowledge Map, and they were in the offices above. And so he was hiring people uh, essentially at that stage. And this is this is in the kind of early noughties. And he was just uh, it was very, very early noughties. Um, 2001, he was just essentially kind of hiring talent, what he felt as talented graduates, graduates in pretty much anything, really. And um, there were, I, I'd had some chats with him before and he'd found that I'd actually got a little bit of history doing design. Um, one of my first jobs was actually as a computer games tester and um and that that evolved into a, doing a bit of graphics for computer games when i was 16 and 17 through various different accidents found myself kind of involved in games testing with them um uh, first of all as a work experience um thing that then turned into actually a part-time job and then whilst i was there they kind of put me onto some graphics projects as well and i was mapping out the fields of france for for first world war flight simulators and things like that and 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 that was so so i had a kind of certain amount of that technical design background and i'd had an art background you know and in, in in school i'd been doing pretty much everything focused on art and music and and those types of areas so rob was quite interested and and, and just kind of took a chance on me um and, uh, and so he, he kind of pulled me into that. And that was really my start into the properly into the world of, of digital. So I worked with my knowledge map for a long time. And that, that evolved from being just kind of, we were creating e-learning in Flash. Uh, we were, but the, the, that, that, that company evolved really, really quickly into a point where we were actually, they, 
producing some quite advanced for its time projects. I mean, this included things like working with NHS and T-Mobile in developing systems that actually allowed remote learning um, being entered for, for occupational therapists, for example, in hospitals going to actually kind of enter their, what they were learning um, into PDAs which then wow. had to be connected to uh, connect to something and uploaded to a central system. So again, you know, this is pre uh, pre mobile phones and uh, and everything, but still kind of remote and mobile style um, engagement with with people. Um, we actually went out into the field and started kind of researching with people. And that was my kind of first experience of actually going out and speaking to end users. But it, it gave me that first kind of experience of where we started to say, actually, you know, that makes perfect sense. I didn't even know UX or user research was even a thing at that point. I mean, I was just, you know, I was doing what we, we were most, mostly working in it, flash and fireworks and and uh, and kind of early style websites and things. So, but we that that really triggered something with me it's like this is the most logical thing we should be doing and i think something that also came of that particular incident was that we went out i i sat with a social worker this is a tool that was designed for it was designed to help teach it skills to um what what were termed by the client as disadvantaged children um um or disaffected children and so we said, right, well, we need to go and speak to some of these disaffected children before designing something crazy that they just won't need. So we'll go out and we'll take the concept that the client had and we'll, we'll run it past them and we'll discuss their needs and their environments and things. So I, I myself and a social worker went out and we traveled to some truly deprived areas in the north of England. And we sat with these these children and it was astonishing the difference in, in what the client felt the user was and that their needs were, and the reality of what was there. And I think, you know, we had a situation where the client felt, felt very much that these were, they were apathetic and they were uninterested and they just weren't, um, you know, they weren't engaged. And, you know, this was going to have to be so flashy and bells and whistles. They had a mad idea about a pillbox that would literally, with a touch screen in it, that would literally sit on street corners of deprived areas and kids would go up and do IT courses on it. One child actually said to me when we showed the concept, he said, I'd smash that up out of principle. Um, <laughs> Should have laughed, but it's very telling, isn't it? I, I, I completely agreed with him. I mean, in many ways, I was like, well, yeah, you know, so what? And actually, it turned out one of the things we did discover, and this was, again, a revelation that stuck with me since uh, throughout my career, we found out actually a lot of these kids, they were interested. They were fascinated to find out about IT skills. And actually, what they really wanted was to um, just have access to computers. Many of them didn't in this, you know, back then, didn't have access to computers. They knew about them. They were interested. And when I told one of them that, well, actually, you know, you can use computers for free in the library, they were actually astonished. It occurred to me that, actually, you know, maybe rather than spending thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds on some high-tech solution, we need a poster campaign to say, there are computers in libraries. You can go and use them off your pop. Uh, and then maybe base it from there. Um, and that was that was a fascinating, you know, that start into the uh, in, in, into that kind of view of that world. And from there, I went on and uh, worked in more traditional digital agencies. And again, I was working in front end development and design, web design. But again, always this this was back in the days when it was a these these agencies were often very old school in their approach to design. It was like, well, we'll do three versions of the website, and then we'll show the client, and they'll choose which one they want. Yeah, I've been in a situation like that. <laughs> depressing, isn't it? <laughs> it? It's depressing that occasionally someone still suggests that as an approach. And I was like, we must have come on from there. And we have, by and large, most, almost everybody has. But 
I was kind of very much pushing that we wireframe things first. And I was, you know, tried to kind of encourage and, and, and wanting to kind of say, we need to conduct, we need to speak to people. We need to find out details. We need to, you know, not just have everything channeled through an account manager in Chinese whispers of this is what the client says they want. And this is what the account manager reckons they need. And then, you know, the client never meets the actual designers. Um, and, you know, it, it all, it all, none of that really sat nicely with me. And it was very hard to encourage kind of that, that that should happen. And and again, this is before I really understood that UX was even a, a thing. I think I, th- I think that's quite common because I had that as well. It's kind of like it's only when I discovered what UX was, it's kind of like, ah, that's what you know people have been talking about all this time. But you, you and, and once you've worked in this world of a kind of user-centered approach to things, it's so obvious that yeah. it's the right way to do things and it leads to good outcomes that are positive for the user, but also for the business. It's, that it seems like, why is everything not done like this? You know, obviously. Yeah, it's astonishingly obvious to do. I mean, why wouldn't you do that? And actually, yeah, it, it seemed, I don't know where that, that disappeared. And the fact is, I mean, I've, and I've done conference talks about this, the, the, the history of this, it's not new. It's not no. a new thing. I mean, you've sort of, you, you saw me do this. Thought, well, you know, it's not a new thing. It's not a new idea that we suddenly go out and and speak to people. It's been going on for thousands of years. Observation of people using farming tools in Babylonian mm. times, in ch- leading to ergonomics, feng shui. For goodness sake, I mean, it's it's about observing the space and observing the people and how they use it and how they to to, to, to then come up with a better solution. You know, and then you you, you can drop in the other kind of uh, stories about Walt Disney encouraging his imagineers to kind of sit in people in his try and picture themselves in his used shoes and go and watch people using theme parks and things like that. And the same way that they designed the interiors of the, you know, the 1950s, 1960s interior design of, of things like the cockpit or sorry, the, um, the passenger areas of planes where they build a plane and get people in. Now, I mean, that's a physical, practical product design, but it's the same principles, you know, as, as, as digital design where you actually want to kind of say, okay, let's, let's see how this works. And it was when it, it, it was a line of Mason when uh, we got a, a project came through for um, a, a large pharmaceutical company, one of the big um, international pharmaceutical companies. And it was about a, a platform through which they sold all their pharmacy product over the counter pharmacy products to pretty much every pharmacist in Europe. Um, and I was like, well, this is an opportunity. This is, this is, we can't just go and design a new ordering platform for them based on the client's desire to just make a, I think one of the phrases that we were throwing around was, uh, you know, Amazon, but for pharmacy ordering. Um, and it was like, we should probably go and speak to these pharmacists first. We should probably go and speak to these people first. Now, it's just a coincidence that that also led to a trip around Europe. Um, but a trip around Hard Europe. Hard job, is, but someone's got to do oh, it. That's <laughs> tough. It was awful. But, but what that also just really, it, it, it brought me back to those experiences I'd had earlier in my career where we'd actually gone out, gone to the spaces where people worked. There's absolutely nothing better than that as far as I'm concerned in no. terms of just gathering that that um, ability to go and sit and observe and, and then talk to people but just see how they literally work in the environment in which they work it's just so valuable so much comes from that and we we learn so much and whilst it sounds glamorous going around Europe you know, I went to some of the most beautiful cities in Europe and I sat in pharmacies for hours and hours and hours and they're not they're not glamorous places um, but we saw different levels of pharmacy we saw the highs the high big ones we saw the tiny little cupboards where they literally you know it literally is a cupboard in a side of a street that you see sometimes in some areas of uh, some european cities we learn about their pressures we learn about their lives and their environments and that everything that happens around them that not just to do with ordering we weren't you know we wanted to find out about everything 
that they experienced. And, and and the people from the from the client side, they were really into this idea as well. They were very, very kind of like, you know, this is we feel this is powerful. Um, and when we came back, we kind of first of all, we'd revolutionized the, the, the preconception about what we were actually going to build. We changed it because we realized, you know, we actually this 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 idea of making an Amazon a version of Amazon, but for, for pharmaceuticals could potentially actually severely damage uh, you know, it could be worse than the existing solution, but um, but the other thing that we realized is it needs to be more than that as well. And we we changed the brief, we expanded upon the overall program, we brought so much more to it, and it, it was such a great experience to do a project like that. And it really just led me into kind of thinking, oh, well, this is how this is how we need to approach these things. Just to pick up on a couple of things you you mentioned, the and really interesting, the contextual inquiry exactly like you were saying kind of following people around going to their homes going to their workplaces how yeah, fascinating yeah. useful that is and i, I you mm. know i've done a lot of that myself but obviously in a pandemic world that poses real challenges for us as yeah. as designers and researchers i'm interested to know kind of how you what your response to that is and how you've pivoted to kind of deal with that because i certainly know from my own experience whilst there's obviously you know we've been able to run zoom calls and remote research we've had to do that for the last couple of years I'm, yeah. I'm convinced there's a certain amount that's lost in terms of not being with someone in their world yeah um, and you, oh, just, you miss out on the nuances of their needs and their life and kind of how they go around i, I think yeah I, I mean i think in terms of interviews and testing i, I i'm not a hundred percent convinced that we've lost too much um when it comes to turning a lot of that into remote i mean pre um, the lockdowns and pre-COVID, we were running a lot of stuff remotely anyway because, mm -hmm. I mean, we'd done some projects for, for example, Sheffield Hallam University. We ran a project for them to understand about how foreign students engage um, with them in various different uh, touch points. And for that, we we spoke to a lot of foreign students. Um, now, well, I wasn't about to go on a, get on a plane to China or, any, uh, or, or Africa or any other areas, but... Um, Sadly, not part of the budget, despite my um, protest. I know they just don't <laughs> listen sometimes. But no, it was. It's absolutely fair enough. You have, you know, remote is incredibly useful and valuable in terms of connecting with people who are literally on the other side of the world. And you know, if you just wanted to speak to them for an hour or two, yes, it far, makes far more pragmatic sense to jump on Zoom or something similar. And you know, that can work really well, provided you think about how you structure that and what you're trying to get out of it um you know your expectations are correct in terms of what you're trying to gain and you can do a huge amount so we were already quite well versed with a lot of remote working um and, and remote working with ourselves as well you know internally we'd all always kind of had people either working from from clients offices or for from home you know or we have an office in you know in leeds but you know we we'd often not be in there at all for a week or at a time because people were just out doing things. So, but we'd, so we'd, we'd already got a an infrastructure way of working with the team of, of being able to kind of workshop together in a remote way. We'd found solutions for that. Lockdown helped that. Uh, well, that helped us when it came to the lockdown, I should say, uh, because we kind of already had the tools in place. So where a lot of organizations were suddenly scrabbling to work out how they could get everyone working from home. Well, for us, it was kind of right. Well, we're already doing it. Um, so the the thing that you're absolutely right that we missed 
was this this kind of field visit, this field study kind of um, uh, approach. I know there's lots of different names for it, but you know, whichever I'm just call it field um, service safari. Sometimes or things like people oh, use no, all cringe. sorts of different <laughs> phrases like that. I know, I know, and, but the, the the terminology doesn't worry worry me so much. It's getting out there and getting in people's yeah. spaces and seeing their environments and 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 starting to appreciate the the pressures that are physical in their environments as well as the things that they're literally doing on a screen um and and finding that there are solutions there and we, you know we we've we've missed that on a number of projects um but we've we we've actually still managed to do it rec- in, on a couple of occasions and actually it's loosening up a bit more at the moment we're able to start doing that kind of activity we've been you know for example just in in the last six months we've been you know following um staff members around spice factories and watching them use wow. ma- machinery and in the touch screens on this machinery we've we've sat in uh, government call centers and listened in on calls and, and you know and again you know that could have been set up remotely possibly uh, but actually it makes a world of difference just mm. being beside the individual who's had the, that you're designing for the agent in this case um so you know we've we've managed to kind of keep that go uh, you know keep that going so it's, it's kind of fired back up again so uh, we didn't really miss too much i missed i missed doing it i missed actually that the the I think for the, the biggest thing for me in lockdown I missed was workshops. Mm. I actually love workshops and I love being on my feet and running around and slapping post-it notes around. And I, I realized just the other day, I've, I've got no post-it notes in my house. How can I call <laughs> myself a user experience professional? And I don't even own a post-it note at the moment. Well, they're all in mirror, aren't they? Millions and millions of them. Are, that, that's well, where we've all gone. But it's, it's not quite the same. It's not quite, um, is it? No. The, the, yeah. Hopefully it'll come back one day. But uh, Oh, I'm sure, and you know what I think. You know, we actually have some in-person things work um, already scheduled in for the for this year. So I mean, you, we're 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 getting back to it, um, but we've got the tools to do it remotely. And I think one of the things that's nice now is that a lot of organisations, when we say actually, you know what, this is probably better off just doing this remotely, and we all jump into Miro. Um, because for logistical reasons, it's impossible to try and schedule everybody and in, in otherwise. And actually, that that makes things an awful lot easier. Uh, and quicker and you can be a lot more responsive as a result of this but you're right you don't get that same connection with somebody in an interview unless you're sat with them mm. but you can do enough and you can do it well i'm yes. sure you, yeah, yeah. you, you yeah. think so I, for me it's not like we've um we've lost an actually critical part of our toolkit uh, but no i would have... agree i would agree i guess it's just uh i mean also selfishly it's one of the things i enjoy most about doing this is actually going out into people's worlds and whether it be their professional or personal world and and just being nosy and kind of how do other people live and what, what do they do and kind of what's their behavior how does That's digital it. fit in with all of that yeah, I, I love I love the learning part. I think it's one of the parts of the job I love most is I love finding out about the about different people's lives. I mean, just finding out about you know I did a project not not long ago for where I ended up having to it was for a government project with six fixed six different government departments and it was it was for a, for a new ERP system that was going to be across these government departments. I went I travelled the country visiting government departments uh, for across you know. The insolvency service, which is exciting, and uh, but also more excitingly, the space agency, and uh, and and actually even more excitingly, the, the um, what's got the UK Research Institute, um, uh, their, their site in Oxford, where they have the kind of UK equivalent of the Large Hadron Collider, and you know, but speaking to and, and then up to Aberdeen to go and speak to people who work in offshore or, or refineries. 
didn't manage to get to the Antarctic uh, research station to speak to the users oh, there, again. unfortunately. But that would, I was pushing. I was pushing. But it's just going to those places and traveling to these places. I mean, traveling's fun. I love traveling. And, you know, but traveling's fun. But, but going to these places and meeting people whose lives are diametrically different from your own. And, and again, I think, one, that's fascinating. But two, it also reminds you that actually, yeah, your experience is absolutely not the experience yeah. of you are not the user. user you are not the yeah. user yeah exactly it's that whole thing but it, it just keeps reminding you when you sit in the room with people and hear about their issues and problems and the, the things that, that they love and things that they don't love you, you suddenly it just nails it down because i think it's so easy to fall back into the trap even with what we do i think you know mm-hmm. yeah. I, I still find myself going yeah but obviously you should just do that and then you've got to stop yourself and say no uh, can't no. think like that ever. <laughs> um so, yeah. Tell me uh, a typical day in your role in, in Lion and Mason. Kind of, what, what does it look like if there is such um, a thing? Well, it, there, there is no typical day, which is the lovely thing about it. Um, but um, uh, sometimes um, I'll be working directly hands-on with projects. Increasingly now I'm more kind of, I've, I've got to the state where, you know, we've got some far, far more suited to getting their hands dirty people than I, and I'm kind of moving into that slightly more managerial role, but I still enjoy that too. But actually just kind of overseeing, um, overseeing what the work that people's people are doing. But at any given time, we've got projects that are in discovery. So we've got people who are going out and interviewing stakeholders and going and interviewing users and starting to build pictures of as is systems. And so, uh, and, or at the same time, we'll have, we'll also have uh, projects that are in the kind of the later stages. So we'll, we'll actually have prototypes types being tested we'll have ui designed to to review and uh, so for my day can be a variety of things and it's often jumping from one thing to another um but yeah it's it's and that's often you know you have to have the the gear change in your head when you move from looking at one project and then looking at another project but I, i'm very lucky in the respect that we have such a talented team that actually they they kind of run themselves so in some cases uh, if i'm if i'm not literally hands-on which at the moment I am hands-on in projects in some in in one project at the moment where I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm actually kind of doing the do as well, but increasingly it's more about just kind of watching these pull back and go cars just keep going and just, just if they need a little nudge to the left or the right just helping them with that or a little support but um, yeah. Tell me, uh, you've touched on this a little bit already. How do you think UX teams can uh, have the greatest impact on 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 products that they're working on and on organisations? Whether that be in-house UX teams, as you talked about, or whether that be agencies like yourselves who are kind of working with the client. Yeah, I, 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 communication and and just banging your own drum as, as often and as frequently as possible, and making sure that that is what you're doing is no good if it's sat in a folder or a report. It's got to be socialised. Um, I mean, and, and and being able to demonstrate the benefits that you know what's what happened. Um, you know, if you can communicate the story of what you've done to the re- to wind, the wider organisation. Um, that's where people will sit up and listen because it's very, very easy. And it still happens that, the you know, less so these days, but it certainly was a challenge right at the start of our, you know, UX careers when they were kind of, we knew the names, uh, when we knew the job title. Uh, but but it, frequently a lot of clients will just be like, well, this is just all fuzzy nonsense, isn't it? This is all just wishy-washy, softy, qualitative, blah, 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 blah. And you have to persuade them and persuade them. Nowadays, hopefully that's, I mean, increasing that's less 
of a, of a of an issue but it's always still going to be there i think and it'll definitely be there if you don't demonstrate the value um and i think that's one of the most important things that anybody working in ux can do is they've got to be able to tell that story of well it was like this then we did this and found this out and as a result we did this so you've got that nice simple cognitive uh, you know cogent story and at the as a result of that this was the benefit and that benefit you know if you can measure that benefit and i'm not just talking strictly metrics although everybody you know she just being able to demonstrate that there has been a tangible improvement and what that means to the business being able to illustrate that clearly is going to be absolutely you know that, that that's that's essential for any team and if you can't do that then essentially you you may go in you may do a project you may then leave and then nobody really knows about it but if you can truly demonstrate that value that you're bringing and the change that's happened because of your input then you know you you're going to get people's attention absolutely and you, I, you used the word narrative earlier and it's interesting that everyone i've talked to in this series that's come through again and again mm. the kind of importance of telling the story coming up with a you know a, a, a cogent concise narrative to kind of justify why you've done what you've done and how it led to change exactly like you're describing yeah because there's otherwise you say it just stuff gets ignored or it sits in people's inboxes or in on fault you know in drive somewhere absolutely storytelling one of the most underappreciated skills that someone in ux can have so you've talked uh, a little bit about your the client base that you have as being both public sector and private sector mm. and i'm interested to know the difference in in working with with both types of clients in terms of kind of day-to-day -day work kind of levels of buy-in levels of ux maturity uh, kind of in your experience yeah um i think there's definitely a difference um the the key things i think is uh, government projects it's not a challenge to try and persuade people that you need the resources you need there's a, I think this is thanks to the, the kind of the, the, the GDS and the, the way that they've kind of um, their, their, their service standards have, have permeated throughout um, departments. And again, we, not, you know, when, when we say a government project, one, one government department is very different in terms of how it approaches projects from another uh, is also my experience. Um, you know, and it's, we're working with the Department for Work and, uh, work and Pensions at the moment. And, and I, um, I, you know, I found that the... The, the the resources they they're, they're really kind of a positive um you know approach to 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 to, ha to how how you approach things like user research and and the need for that as part of uh, part of the project but i think as well when you're working with um, government departments as well everything's quite structured there's there's a, there's downsides to that obviously in that there's this i think there's no secret to say a lot of governance uh, involved but actually it, it's quite easy to be frustrated by that governance but you I can understand why it's there. Um, you know, we're not just talking about the company's money; we're talking about taxpayers' money, and that there's there's a level of, of of governance that's required to ensure that things are done in the right way. And I've got a huge amount of respect for the GDS and their frameworks and the way that they approach things. I think you know, it's just that there's some incredibly great practice at play, and there's some very very talented people there. And I think there's often a kind of a perception that it can become a bit dogmatic um um but actually i think by understanding how to engage and and why those certain frameworks are in place why those ga those gateways are there to those assessment gateways are there to try and ensure the projects are steered in the right way and are conducted in the correct way i think that's 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 a really positive thing 
um, myself because I've also learned a huge amount doing a film project. You know, you by by being by being kind of almost kind of saying, well, you have to follow these frameworks, you have to follow these these approaches and these standards. There's a, there's a point at which no corner is really going to get cut. You know, you can't start evading. And then I think in the same sense, it gives you that appreciation of actually, you know what? We need to consider accessibility in the same way as anything else. It needs to have that same priority. Whereas it's a lot easier in a private project to maybe go, ah, well, you know, budget, we're just going to cut that. You know, you're not going to get away with that on a government project. Um, uh, and I think that, but actually, I think that instills quite a lot of good practice in, in, in people, both the teams that we you know. But I'm saying that from a personal perspective, but I'm also from you know the teams that the, the colleagues we've had also work on those projects. They've learned a huge amount. Plus, I think there's a huge amount of fantastic talent within um, government department projects. And I think whenever we work in those, we're not just going in and doing our job and we are the people going in to solve the problem. We're joining a team. And actually, that team is made up of people from maybe other consultancies or agencies as well. I mean, you know, obviously, freelancers such as yourself, which is where we, you know, we kind of met, didn't meet, I suppose, working on the, the, the COVID DFE project. But it was my colleague, Jack, who was, uh, you know, just called me up That's and right. told me about this researcher who's working with Mike. He's like, brilliant, you should speak to him. Um, and, uh, and there you go, you see. Very good. Uh, that's quite <laughs> all right. No, no. Well, you know, you know, we've, uh, it's uh, he was quite correct. Um, but again, it, it proves my point. You know, the people that you meet and, and collaborate with, both both in terms of people in your own industry and discipline, but also other people. I mean, policy. There's, there's people I've worked with who are change managers who are amazing, and you know, I've learned so much from just being in the room with them. Um, people who are kind of program directors who have been fantastic to work with. Great fun, but also really kind of interesting. Incredibly hardworking people. So there are some really really amazing people uh, within some of these projects um that said of course that's there too in 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 private as well um and i do like i like doing both really i think there's a there's a, there's a lot to be said for the change between the two um and i think in some cases we often think you know if someone's been on a public sector project for a while we should probably get them onto a private project just for a little bit of a breather because actually uh they can be quite intense as well <laughs> um uh public sector projects as well so i think that's uh, a balance that's... of both no I, I i agree with you i think that's very important yeah that said it can also be quite liberating to then be on a project on a private project where you're not quite under such strict kind of observation and uh, and governance but and you can get st there's sometimes a sense of being able to get stuff done faster um but again you know, there's a lot of learnings that I've taken from government projects, which I would then want to bring into private projects and persuade private clients that actually, you know, this is certain ways we should do things. And that's, that's a, it's a, it's a net benefit. Mm. And actually, when it comes to digital, the UK government, and I've discussed this with other guests in this series, feels like is almost ahead in many ways of the private sector, not, not always, but, but often in terms of, as you say, embedding good practice, multidisciplinary teams, you have kind of stages you have to reach and assessments you have to pass to evidence the yeah. practice you've done, why you did it. And uh, yeah, accessibility being a classic example and assisted digital, mm. because obviously yeah. anybody in the Britain technically should be able to use a UK government service. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you've talked a little about your team a little bit and um, and the great work that they do and kind of how you work with them day to day. I'm interested in terms of kind of recruiting. So when you're out looking for people to join your team, um, whether in Lionel Mesa or in kind of previous lives, what skills do you look for? So what kind of attributes make for a good UX designer or UX re uh, researcher, let's say? Recruitment is a, is a challenge. There's a lot of people out there with UX on their CV yes. who yep. have maybe stretched what I would 
determine UX to be um and 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 it's it's obvious why because it's a desirable um role it's 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 seen far more favorably and it's understood more by organizations and even to the extent the the extent where organizations say well we need user experience um designers and actually they won't even really know what they mean when they say that and you know ultimately job titles are fairly you know it's just semantics when it comes down to it but i have you know we we may we have we certainly have had situations you know plenty of experience of putting out we need we're looking for user experience um designers or we're looking for user experience consultants and what you will have back is uh, a large number of cvs of people who've done a wireframe once um and that's about it um number of people i've interviewed who've got the word got the, the letters u and x on their cv who've never spoken to a user in their lives ouch and I'm kind, of, yeah, yeah, but 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 again, I, I think there's, there's, I'm sure, I think it might just be that there's, there's a, there's a certain kind of trend for, there's, a, there's a, maybe a stable of digital designers, traditional digital web designers out there. Web designers, what year is it? Um, but, <laughs> I know what you mean. Yes. Worldwide web designers of webmasters, um, but they're out there. That they've kind of realised that maybe they haven't kind of that, that this is a new opportunity they need to take up. So it's it's essentially essentially a case of just sticking the words U, the letters UX on their CV and they just carry on. But actually, what they are is UI designers. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a UI designer. It's an incredibly skilled and an and, and, and important role. But actually, when we're looking for people who aren't just going to make something pretty, in fact, that's actually one of the last things we really worry about. It's does it work? Does it work for users? Do you know who you're doing it for? Do you know the constraints that, the, that they're also under? Do you know the constraints that this particular product is going to be under from other parts? And actually, that's where we kind of start spreading into more service design elements. And it's another acronym I recently heard, you know, didn't, didn't realize it exists, SDUX, the service design user experience, where it kind of twins both, SDUX. Because what the world needs is more acronyms, flurry of names and stuff. I mean, is it job titles seemingly meaningless? I mean, you know, my my job title is UX director. However, I'll actually just I'll be a one day I'll be a researcher and one day I'll be a you know. So I don't really mind what people call me. And in fact, you know, senior consultant, whatever. You know, it doesn't really matter what people call me because actually, who who are we trying to hire and what job are we trying to get them to do? And actually, what we're looking for is someone who has the ability and ideally some experience in doing this, but actually not necessarily, you know, we've hired people with no formal UX experience um, who've been hired because they've shown a natural aptitude to this. You know, we've, we've, we've got people on the team who didn't necessarily even use the words UX in their CV. They just said they were designers and they, they demonstrated that they'd actually, oh, well, then I went and investigated and I found out this and I did this and I did this. And they've just out through their own intuition and gut instinct that that's what they should do because it's the right thing to do. They've gone away and they've investigated in the right ways and they've got that analytical mind and you can spot it. And you can spot it from the work that they've done in showing their working and people who show their thinking and their working and show, and then I did this wrong. That's a huge thing. Huge piece of advice to anybody writing a CV. Tell us what you did wrong and tell us how you then learned from that and then how you moved on. And then when you interview these people, you you can often find that they are going to be the people who tell the stories better because they're not going to just sit there and spool off. And again, I've interviewed lots of people where we, they kind of sit there and it's like they're spooling off a Wikipedia entry for um, what a user research. And then I used 
quantitative and qualitative and i mixed it with some uh, ethnographic uh so and you just kind of it's I'm just zoned out there for a minute there but and, and, but it also means you don't probably understand what you're saying is what i kind of take from that whereas if somebody says right and then i went to i went to this garage and i got my i got a prototype out that i'd done on a piece of paper and i showed it to people and then you wouldn't believe what happened they're telling me a story and they're excited and that's that passion and it's that excitement and that speaks volumes to their abilities and interest and 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 an intuition into the into the role. And I think that's that's what's really valuable for us is somebody that can communicate um, well, someone that can demonstrate that they've got that way of thinking where they want to pull something apart and see how it works, um, and someone can, that can show that aptitude because software can be taught, and because methodologies can be taught, um, whereas people who've got that aptitude and that sense of you know you, it's difficult to describe sometimes but that sense of energy and and, and understanding and kind of the, the way that their brain will work in a way that it wants to wants to discover and uncover things that's really so valuable because i think you could have a, the most perfectly trained ux professional in the world but if they didn't if they just didn't have that um that element to them then they'd be functional but they wouldn't necessarily be someone that you could kind of stick in a room and hope to inspire a whole bunch of clients yes. does that make sense yeah yeah no absolutely and yeah and you're right and the kind of client management side of things i guess as well is um, it's quite uh, important for us as well because we're so client facing you know nobody's going to hide behind uh, nobody's going to get get to hide behind somebody every single person in this organization is going to be sat in front of a client at some point so that's actually critical for us you know we can't have somebody that uh, is is literally going to just mumble their way through things and and and, and not be able to you know evo evoke what it is that they're trying to communicate properly so yeah, yeah. so what yeah. advice andy or tips would you give to someone who was starting out in ux let's say based on everything you've just said if someone said oh i've found out there's this thing exists and i'm interested in kind of learning more about it what what should i do what what would you tell them um i would say start doing projects i mean again half the training courses out there there's some really good ones as well actually um i think you know i'm a big fan of inter in uh, the interactive design foundation do some really good courses and it's ridiculously cheap for what it is but they do some very good courses um with some very good people involved i mean there's this this stuff don norman's done uh, is, is lecturing also to some videos for them recently but but there are lots of others out there as well um do some courses but do some projects and you know when you learn about a technique go and try it and then write about it, and that's the thing. No one, I, you know, if we're, if if you're a junior, you're a junior. Then you know you're starting out. No one's going to have expected that you've gone away and redesigned, um, you know, a government a, a government service, or a, or a major, you know, FTSE 500s kind of core 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 app or anything like that. But go away and think about that, and show your working, show your thinking, show your feeling, and document that. That's a great element of a portfolio. Um, you know, a portfolio doesn't have to have real world projects in it, but make it very clear if this is a spec project or if this is a project you've done out of interest, because that's the other thing I would advise anybody who's looking for um, who's starting out. Don't lie, because we'll spot you a mile away and we'll never touch you with a barge pole. And you might be great, but you might just have not had the confidence to say I'm starting. But if you go in, if you come in and you show us you're working and you haven't pretended that other people's work is yours, if you've done a project for a client and you actually were just kind of taking notes but the project did all of this don't then present that project as you did it solo 
when in, in fact lots of other people were the, were the people involved in that. But I've seen it so many times and it's so frustrating because you can spot him a, spot it a mile away. You may have just designed the banners on something, but tell us that. But tell us what you learned from the other people on the project or tell us how you contributed to that because we don't expect every... No project's done by one person ever. It's, it's a confidence thing, I think. I think a lot of people, it's the fear that there is a big, um, you know, heavily comp comp competitive market out there. Um, I'd say one word I'd say is it's actually not as competitive as you think. Just, just the, the, you know, cream rises to the top. You know, that's the thing. Is you've got to make sure that you, you are honest, clear, transparent, but show that you've got that way of thinking and show that you've got that ability to kind of pivot. Right, Andy, last thing my three card challenge so i've got uh three cards here what i'd like you to do is pick one and on the one card there's a technique one there is a tool and one there is a trend Ooh. so i'm going to hold the cards up i will take the spade that is a technique so tell me about your favorite ux technique i've mentioned it before but um field visits um just going out and being in the space where someone is, it's just so good. Um, and the number of, I've never done one where there hasn't been some form of epiphany moment where we've gone and gone, oh God, right, that's how it, and it changes you. It changes your treatment of the whole project. So when, when, you, when you've sat in a room, even in, in subtle ways, when you sat in the room with the person and watched them try to do the job uh, in the space that they normally try to do the job, um and, and the empathy that it builds up with people uh, and it makes you realize that there is a human being behind all of this because you've seen them there um and you know you try and get involved as well if possible get, get if you can really get stuck in we have one colleague who um well one of our one of our team actually i sent them on a uh, a field visit with a, a charity that that does kind of improvements to to people people's homes such as putting insulation in old people's homes and things like that and um so she went around in the van for several days with this person and uh, visit went on the visits and i got a text from her saying um just hoovered an old woman's carpet <laughs> that's it <laughs> yes that's, that's doing it you are getting <laughs> stuck in that's but but all joking aside it's that type of thing get immersed yeah, yeah. and that's what that so that for me is that's that's one of the most um fun and useful things um methodologies and and you're absolutely right and in my own experience of doing it in terms of the narrative going back to the, the idea of storytelling when you come back with preferably photos as well of what you've seen yeah. and sharing those stories you know for, for clients and for for people kind of at one two three steps removed from from the end user it's like yeah. a light bulb going on and it's like aha now we understand who we're building and, and if you can get the client in there too yes yeah maybe not in the same session but get the client to do it too because maybe that, not hoovering the carpet but yeah oh no get them stuck in that's it get them, get them delivering packages get them serving people in your restaurant you know it's 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 valuable absolutely right last two diamond and heart the heart please okay so the heart is tool tell me about your favorite ux tool we're quite agnostic when it comes to tools because a lot of the time we'll end up using the tools that the client's are already using if they've got an incumbent system. So we've pretty much got every design package in the world and uh, and tool like that. But I have to say my personal favorite, and it, since I've uh, although Miro's Miro's bucking up there at the moment because I just love it because of some of the projects we've worked on during lockdown that have just been so good because we've had a tool like Miro and the other com the other competitors don't seem to do it quite as well. It just I, I do enjoy it. Um, but I love Azure. Um, 
as your RP. Um, because if, I mean, I don't do much wireframing anymore now. We've got better people to do that now. But when I've been doing our, uh, when I've been doing wireframing and things, I, if I'm using anything else, I wish I was doing it in Azure because of the flexibility and the amount of re just the, 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 the tangible kind of interactivity you can really put into it. It's not, none of the rest of them are even close really in my experience, unless there's a package I'm not aware of. What, not um, even Figma or Sketch or any of those? No, no, no. Well, I mean, no. you try and start putting forms and thing, form elements and things like that and, and stuff. Either I'm not using them properly, but it's just not nothing like as simple. I think it's also as well because as you're just, you, you can get really complex to the to the point where it can become a problem you can get very very complex mm. interactions and functionality inside a wireframe and I've, i would never really go further than a wireframe in azure some people do but um but when it comes to wireframing prototypes it's so quick and it's so detailed to get something that gets that really acts like it should mm. um and, and and again it might just be my familiarity maybe i just need to work more with the other packages but um but for me i just really i really do like it for that um uh, to the point, though, where sometimes you can put so much detail into it, start passing values from one page to another and things like that, get really down into the dirty. And then you realize, I don't need to do no. that to start validating this. And I'm just, this is now getting a little bit self-indulgent. So uh, you have to be careful. You have to be careful. But yeah, that's my favorite tool. Okay. And then the last one is trend. So tell me about <laughs> a trend in user experience that you, you you know maybe is you see coming or is recent something you're kind of maybe something you dislike but i i'd like to i'd like to think that a trend should be and i hope a trend to, is that there's a further acceptance amongst organizations of the value mm. of of this yeah and again that's not i'm not just saying that from a kind of business perspective that it'd be great to get more clients say understanding this from the word go because actually that seems to be happening um, there's a lot more acceptance by from clients about the value of what what we do, uh, and the value of being user centric um, in your approaches. But I'd um, yeah, I'd certainly like to see that continue. Um, so yeah, that's a really there's interesting one. That's the you're yeah. the first guest who said that, but I, I think that's yeah. I, again, I totally agree. I think it's well, we're moving I, in I the right direction, but there's there's still work to be done there's still there's still work to be done because i think also the, if, if a trend could be people understanding people outside of the industry understanding that user experience is more than user interface design hmm. and actually it's it's everything that comes before that so it's like this little inch here is user is user interface everything before that is uh, is, is is for me more user experience better so it's like the iceberg, isn't it? That kind of interface is the bit you see, but there's an awful lot underneath it that's gone into getting to that point. Absolutely. Andy, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you as always. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Understanding Users podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, do please like or comment wherever you're listening and feel free to share it more widely. Join me again next time and I'll be talking to Nick Grantham Associate Director of Zebra People, who are a specialist digital and UX recruiter based in London. I'll be chatting to him about his role, the state of the current UX job market, and what both his organizational clients and his candidates are, or should be, looking for in their UX job searches. Until then, stay safe, stay user-centered. <laughs>